Welcome to the Nopal Queens podcast. This is your chingona, La Sirena, a licensed clinician and higher education professional. Hola, and I'm La Estrella, and I'm a first-gen financial inclusion and brand marketing leader and badass queen. And here at Nopal Queens, we serve up real conversations about mental health and wellness from the Latinx perspective. Come on in, familia. Están en su casa. Excited to introduce our guest today. Um, she is very near and dear to my heart. She is not only our sorority sister, but she's also my line sister. So, I've known her for 20 years now at this point. And uh, fun fact, we share the exact same birthday, just a few years apart. <laughs> um, shout out to our Scor- uh, fellow Scorpios. Um, yeah, so today we have Jessica Dawson Brown who is the CEO of River City Learning Company Incorporated, founded in 2016. She owns and directs a preschool center licensed for 130 children here in California. She is a wife and mother of two, one of whom is diagnosed with ADHD. Shortly after her child was diagnosed, she realized that she aligned with much of the same symptoms. Jessica was late diagnosed with ADHD at 40 years old after finally getting the courage to speak up about the struggles that she faced throughout her life. With the help and encouragement of her primary care doctor, she found the treatment that she needed to find more balance and make sense of her world. Treatment really opened up the door um, for her to finally completing a 24-year-old dream. She was able to manage her ADHD as her superpower and graduated college in 16 months while running a full-time business, y'all. So... Congratulations, Snaps, for you. So proud of you, Sans. Um, And thank you for for coming on the show to kind of speak on on your experiences. Thank you so much. We're excited to have you here. (laughs) Um, And it also sounds like you have a lot of professional and personal experience and thoughts about this. So again, we're just excited to learn and hear from you today. Uh, Before we get into it, we wanted to offer our listeners a quick overview of what type of diagnoses we're talking about today and what we mean when we say neurodiversity. Um, That's the point of this topic is we don't get to talk about it too much. So there might be a lot of you out there who will know what we're talking about once we start describing it, uh, but maybe just didn't have the words to it. So uh, just to give everybody an idea of what neurodiversity means, these can be any conditions like, which we'll talk about in a little bit of autism spectrum disorder, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, or attention deficit disorder. That's where you're hearing ADD, ADHD. You can also have uh, developmental speech disorders, like, and then learning disorders like dyslexia or dysgraphia dyspraxia and dyscalculia. So some of the conditions that we're talking about, such as like autism spectrum, these are a group of developmental disabilities that can actually impact somebody's social communication and behavioral challenges. When we say developmental disorder, that means that you're born with it. It is not something that you just happen to come across. Uh, Like PTSD would be something that would happen after one time event or series of events. A developmental disorder is something that you are born with and the onset has to happen before the age of 18. Um, And so if you're looking at the autism spectrum disorder, it's uh, young children are born with ASD, what we call, or on the spectrum. Um, And you'll notice a lot of delays in their social communication, a lot of limit with eye um, eye contact or social skills. And they also, uh, their brains possibly lack the ability to read like facial expressions. So they won't know or know how to identify like if you're angry, upset or uh, happy, their brains aren't really making the connection for them. Like what emotions are what? That's why you're going to often see our Um, community that are on the autism spectrum disorder having behavioral challenges or just social challenges overall. 
And then you have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, and that is where you experience difficulty with attention, some hyperactivity and impulsiveness. It's almost like you are running on a motor, like your brain is going very fast. You have several tabs open um, and you're like on overdrive. Sometimes people with ADHD can also just have a nonstop talking, uh, poor memory. And again, a lot of that impulsiveness is a, a big characteristic then you have some developmental speech disorders, and that's just how you actually, you know, learn and understand language. Some folks with these disorders, they're not picking up language and, and words um, like you might be. And so it's just like a lot harder for them to come up with the words that they need to finish a sentence. And then you have dyslexia. A lot of folks have dyslexia, but it's not often talked about in our community. Dyslexia is where you're going to have trouble with um uh, difficulty reading so you might be reading letters backwards or you're constantly writing and you get that little squiggly red line under your words um, because you're not spelling things right so you may transpose letters um, and so there's just there's several different ones um, that people could be affected with today we're going to focus on um, autism spectrum disorder um, and ADHD and also just understanding with the prevalence of this, 15 to 20% of this population, of all population is neurodivergent. Um, and that's not a bad thing though. So in some work performance studies, there, there is data that neurodiverse teams are 30% more productive. So I'm sure we can unpack that later with our guest as to why that could be and the superpowers that we have as Jessica was mentioning. Um, but the other part is a lot of times people that are neurodiverse are not understood. So the unemployment for neurodiverse adults run as high as 30 to 40 percent. Um, and so we do know like that can affect people's work. Or if you feel like, why am I struggling so much with my career? It might not be you. It could also just be like if the work environment is not set up to support your neurodiverse thinking. Um, and so we're going to kind of stop there. I just wanted, we want to make sure that everybody knows what we're talking about. There's often miscommunication or misunderstanding that neurodiversity is also like schizophrenia or depression or things like that. That's different. Those are mental illnesses. Um, and those could have an onset after 18, uh, but many are before 18 or 18 to 21. We are talking about developmental disabilities. So often the good news is you can try to catch it in your children between one and three. Um, and we're going to get into that more. Jessica, I'm sure we'll talk about some of those early recognitions and services available between before three years old. So with that, we have... Um, two people here in front of me that have experience in this world of neurodiversity. And I wanted to first ask La Estrella because you had brought this up and, and really inspired us to do this episode. Um, what has been your journey living and learning, um, well, living with neurodiversity and learning about your neurodiversity? I mean, I'm still learning and I haven't actually been diagnosed, but I self-diagnosed <laughs> just based on... <clears throat> <clears throat> like the information that I've read, um, a lot of conversations that I've been having with Jessica and some of our other um, line sisters in regards to neurodiverse, neurodiversity and then what they've learned as well. And I just felt like I really align with all of that. Um, and especially with Jessica, I know we've talked a lot about like how we function and I feel like I've definitely you know experienced a lot of this even looking back you know when I was really young. Um, and I know that there is definitely a lot of overlap when it comes to like ADHD symptoms and depression and anxiety. And so I know it's hard to kind of really gauge that, I think, um, from a medical perspective. But lately, I have really been trying to advocate for myself. And, um, you know, I have Kaiser. And if you guys have Kaiser, you know how difficult it is to get a referral, how difficult it really is to get anything. So I've been having a really hard time with that. And I recently had um, uh, got um, a new psychiatrist and did an assessment and, um, you know, she did her initial assessment or whatever and said, well, let's, let's get your mood stabilized. And then we'll, you know, we'll revisit the, the ADHD assessment and the next steps or whatnot. So, you know, a few months went by and, um, you know, like I got back on, on, on my meds, I, I've been on antidepressants as well and, um, medication for anxiety. And so I've really noticed that it's helped, 
but there's a lack of focus and it's been really hard for me to just I feel like it's getting harder for me to manage my my day-to-day -day tasks my work tasks really trying to get things done and so when I met with my psychiatrist again she I feel like she really just dismissed me she said that a lot of people are trying to get diagnosed right now and that everyone's looking for a quick fix and because there's so much overlap and I said well you know I understand that but I'm not looking for a quick fix I'm just trying to figure out what is wrong with me so that I can f navigate through my life which I'm struggling with um and I was like, can I at least just get the assessment? And she said, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean I'm going to agree with it. I may not agree with the assessment. And I was like, wow, wow. like, are you serious? Like, I'm not I, I'm not looking for a quick fix because nothing about my life, my struggles, my trauma, my healing journey, none of that has been quick. It has mm -hmm. been a long journey. It has been difficult. It has been ugly and hard um but like I'm, I'm just in a place where I know who I am and I know myself better than I have my entire life and I'm doing things for me and so I'm advocating for myself and so I called back and said I want a referral outside of Kaiser I want a second opinion and I'm not just gonna like let let her dismiss me and not continue to follow through with what I feel is going on with me because I feel like I need help. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was, that was one of the reasons why I wanted Jessica um, to, to be a guest on our show as well, because I know that you have gone through this experience as well. Um, and I just want to see, you know, what, what your journey has been to get to where you are now. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that La Estrella because it sounds like you were finally seeing some of the symptoms and you became brave enough to go and talk to your doctor. And that's what we always tell our folks, right? And especially mm -hmm. on our podcast, we're like, let's open up, you know, a conversation about these things. Let's break down barriers. And, you know, we work through the stigma. You work through the stigma, but then you get into the healthcare system and we have a whole other barrier right there of practitioners just not believing you or validating your experiences and that's just want to name that because that's not very helpful as we try to get folks to break down through those stigmas of asking for help so um, I'm glad to hear that you asked for a second opinion um, and yeah and that, that you need to do that and I'm glad you named that for any listeners who just haven't you know broken through in their own journeys um, just to keep going right just to keep trying yeah, absolutely. Keep keep advocating for yourself. Never stop mm -hmm. advocating for yourself, for your kids, for your families. Yeah, that's absolutely true. When did you start to learn about neurodiversity? Like what age and what brought you to this topic? I would say probably a few years ago when Jessica was diagnosed. Um, and we, I, I feel like that's when we started talking a lot more about it, right, Jessica? Like, what you know what symptoms you're experiencing and you know i know you went through your diagnosis with your own son as well and like that journey um and i started just like looking it up more um looking at research looking at the symptoms um and now like my tiktok algorithm like always brings up like if you think you have adhd like do you do these things and i'm like yes that's me like that's fucking all of me <laughs> so i'm just relating a lot to the symptoms and like you know how how people with adhd function so that's that's mm -hmm. where i was like you know what i think i may have that and and, and i had this conversation with jessica wow so, so yeah because I don't think a lot of our Latino families really know or see like this material out there in in front of them naturally. Because I, I feel like oh, yeah. there's a, you know, a lot of us, we just don't know. Or I had to learn this through school and I was a service coordinator for a regional center, right? So there's regional centers all across California and I was a service coordinator. And so I learned because it was my profession. Um, and at the time, I just dismissed my pers my own like symptoms as just me being a mess, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm young and I'm just a hot mess or like, you know, oh, I'll get it. Or it's cute, right? Like you'll forget things or stuff like that. And then just kind of try to be cute about it. Just not knowing like there's an actual science to behind like what you're experiencing. 
Um, and for me, since I was little, my parents and my family have always described me as like, just talking, 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 like nonstop. Like, and I felt like I was driven by a motor and just couldn't stop talking myself. I've always been known <laughs> to be a talker. When I saw that was one of the symptoms, I was like, that's so interesting. Literally, I feel that way. Like, yeah, the motorboat thing, right? Just feeling yeah. like you're in a motor or by, a, you know, by a motor. And then the, the forgetfulness, it's like if it, sometimes I have to tell people my desk isn't messy. It's just that if it's not literally in front of me, it's going to go away in my head very quickly. Yeah. And it just I need constant visual visuals are like my thing, because if I if it's not there, I literally will it forget does not exist. it does not exist. And that's even happened as far as like I'm waiting at the bus for environmental reasons. My husband and I take the bus to work and he'll tell me like I'm working later tonight. Right. OK. And I'll sit at the bus to like six. And I'm like, honey, are you coming? Like I'm here waiting at the bus. He's like, remember, I work late. I'm like. Yeah, I've definitely been sitting here an hour and I totally remember now. <laughs> so it's affected me in so many functional ways too. And as, a couple years ago, I had a feeling I was being slated to be a director for my center and I, I knew I was getting into leadership roles. And so I started taking it more serious because I'm like, if I'm going to be tapped to run teams, nobody wants a messy boss. And that's, I came across not only as a, um, as a person in this field professionally, but just me personally, I came across more information functionally for me, like the how to set routines and things because my team was going to depend on that for my, I needed that. So, right. and I remember taking the Clifton Strengths um, profile. If anybody's taken Clifton Strengths or Gallup poll yes. and you can get your top five talents. Well, I did the full 35 because again, I knew I was going to be a director soon. So I was preparing myself and number 34 and number 35, no joke, on mine, my top, bo my bottom two, consistency and focus. Those are my number 34, <laughs> number 35. I was like, you know, there's something here. Like, I know I struggle. And so uh, it was really, I, I had, I'm sorry, La Sirena, that you had, or La Estrella, um, that you had such a difficult uh, time because I did go to Kaiser and I did ask for therapy. Um, and then my therapist was able to diagnose me with ADHD, which makes so much sense and has really helped like my journey as a as a person in leadership and administration just be more like really intentional about my healing for my team. And then it's also just been easy for me because my not easy, but my motivation has been easy. Like, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to have a team going home frustrated with their with their director because she has undiagnosed untreated you know like neurodiverse challenges so I just feel like this is such an important topic for people's mental health but also for Latinas or Lati like any Latinx folks who want to move up who want to become leaders who want to get into leadership roles you will have to eventually face and address these symptoms right um, and so I've learned how to do a lot I've started to like focus on <laughs> focus and also intentionally, I will call out like consistency and focus. I literally for like a couple of weeks after that uh, test came out, like my Gallup polls, I would tell my husband, I'm like, focus and consistency. I would just say it out loud. <laughs> I'm like, focus and consistency. And it even sounded weird in my head. To this day, consistency and focus are not my strengths. But uh, this isn't like a happy fun ending. It's still a struggle. But at least I know like maybe a few places I can like work on. Um, and one of them right now is consistency. So for example, like anything I can do, like a system I can create and then set it and forget it. Like when I had pets, my, my ADHD is so bad. Like I, I would get scared that I wouldn't feed my animals because I was not the person that could just go and buy dog food every three weeks. Like I can't, I already know it. And I struggled a few times and had to make them like chicken and rice. I'm like, what's in my fridge? So I had to put them on the auto, like an auto ship for yeah. their dog food. Um, I've always been scared sometimes to have children because I'm like, oh my God, I, I, I couldn't do it for dogs. I, I'm not going to be able to do it for humans. Um, and so everything's on auto ship. My shampoo's on auto ship. That's something that I just have to face. I don't care. Like everything is on auto ship because I don't have that thing that will go and consistently go get things. Um, I have goals that I set, but I don't have, I have deadlines and however I get to that goal or deadline, I'll get there, but don't ask me to give you like a plan. Like there's something I need to do by the end of this weekend. Uh, I have, I'm going to make some food and prep food for the week. Right. And my husband's like, when are you going to yeah. do it? I was like, look, 
I just bought all the ingredients, okay? <laughs> However it plays out, they'll be done by Monday night. <laughs> just just know that they will be. He's like, yeah, totally, I get you. <laughs> so it's like there's just little things you, you decide, like what is your energy, right, to give to it or like yeah. where are you going to let yourself, just forgive yourself. So, um, yeah, it's definitely been a big journey for us. And I'm going to kind of turn it over now to our guest who's been listening <laughs> so patiently. Um, but for you, Jessica, how did you get introduced to this world and what interests you in your, your learning, wanting to learn more about it? It's so funny because I've been listening and I've actually been taking notes because if I don't, I'm going to forget. <laughs> <laughs> so um, definitely, if it's not in front of your face, it does not exist. Um, so I have been in the child development field for over 20 years. Um, the development of children and helping children has been something that, um, as a child, I wanted to do because I knew that I had struggles and quite honestly, I was hoping through learning what I could learn to help myself and then in turn help other children. So I always knew that like I, there was something different and I knew that I had a struggle and I couldn't put my finger on what it was. Um, from an early age, I was um, given an IQ test and I was immediately pushed into um, the GATE program, so the Gifted and Talented Education program. Um, so I've always been told, I'm so smart, I'm so smart, I'm so smart. However, my productivity did not match my intelligence. And so I was consistently a D and sometimes F student, and it didn't make sense. It did not, like, align the correct way. So I'm told I'm smart, but my grades don't tell me I'm smart. So this doesn't make sense to me. And so it was very conflicting as a young child. Um, and I knew I was smart. I knew I could get information, um, but I didn't understand why I couldn't, like, write the paper or do the assignment or um, answer the question when, when put on the spot. And so I've held on to that. I held on to that for years, years and years and years until um, I finally spoke up to my doctor, but that wasn't until after officially getting my son diagnosed and you know, the medications and whatnot and treatment for ADHD are not medications to be taken lightly um, because we, we see it in the world with um, addiction problems in these medications. And so as a parent, it's, it's scary to put your child on medications. Um, but I knew since he was in the womb that he was different. He was moving since he could start moving and he never stopped. Uh, so we did take a natural approach at first, and we had um, a certain diet that we followed. It's called the Fine Gold Diet. Uh, focuses on like artificial colors, preservatives, um, salicites um, in natural foods, things like that. And we had the benefit of having some really amazing teachers alongside his journey to figure out the methods to help him in the classroom. Um, but we got to the point where I couldn't just, uh, hope that we always had these magical teachers because we started to run out of magical teachers Right. <laughs> and we moved into, yeah, we've been moved into middle school. So I can't guarantee that I'm going to have multiple magical teachers. Yeah. So when you first, um, saw that your son had symptoms or possibly had symptoms and things like that, were you pretty sure it was ADHD or was this like new for you? I was pretty sure the long running joke in my family was that my dad and my brother had it, but it was kind of a dismissive and you might have it, but you don't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And so being the person that I'm at, I am, I'm a problem solver. And so I figured out the natural route first, did a lot of research and that did help. Um, but lifestyle and, um, access to some of those things were limited. And so we went into middle school and realized like we can't function this way long term. Mm -hmm. So that's where we went the official diagnosis route because he was about to get kicked out of school. 
and it was the impulsivity and um and it's not really his fault to an extent he can control himself but to another extent he can't um so we did have to explore the medical um diagnosis route getting him diagnosed and it was easy because it was he's a classic case (laughs) um busy um forgetful can't concentrate impulsive and so he was he was easy to diagnose with our primary care with his primary care and and we tried the medication and and we saw such a difference and when you talk about impulsiveness impulsivity for our listeners who may have kiddos out there what what did that impulsiveness look like um touching everything touching everything Mm -hmm. um but secretly in the back of my head, I was like, well, I really like touching everything. <laughs> but I'm telling him, don't touch everything. But I have more willpower as an adult to not touch everything or right. touch it in a gentle, gentle way. Um, always being, I, he opened my computer, like opened it up, like that impulsivity. The He didn't think about, maybe if I open this, I might break it forever. But he opened up my, my laptop and just was like, oh, you're, I, here's your laptop. <laughs> it's open. And I knew it wasn't working right, so I opened it up to check it out. Uh, uh, so oh no. just kind of not stopping before understanding full consequence sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, always moving, always moving. Mm-hmm. Um, sitting still is very hard for him. Um, during that period was also the pandemic era. So distance learning was absolutely awful for him. Mm-hmm. I struggle yeah. with a one-hour Zoom. And yeah. for him to have to sit there from 8 to 2 on the computer, mm-hmm. he couldn't handle it. Absolutely. Wow. Oh, that it, sounds awful. It does. For an adult. That does sound, I'm like, I'm hearing it. I'm like, but also it's like, if, if we know how, like sometimes our environment can create the disability. So like what you were just describing the, the zoom from eight to two, that's not going to allow them flexibility or people in front of them, or, you know, they could also be overstimulated by everything and not paying attention to the one little screen and what the teacher is talking about. And sometimes our environment creates the disability. Do you find that he does better in certain environments that are more flexible with him? Like, Talk about that part. Yeah, so we did have, um, right before his diagnosis, I had, um, we had the the most amazing teacher. She had, we walked in the classroom and she had all these flexible seating arrangements available Mm -hmm. for everyone. And for her... She didn't care if he stood up or laid under the uh, laid under the desk or sat down or bounced, but as long as he could do his work in whatever nature he needed to, it wasn't a bother for her. Mm. And in the traditional classroom setting, they have to sit for long periods of time and very much few fidgeting opportunities, few wiggle opportunities. And so that is such a hard struggle where even the impulsivity look like, well, I'm going to throw something away. I'm going to go sharpen my pencil because Mm -hmm. his body is literally itching to move. So finding those little like opportunities he could. So then, um, you know, the complaints would come that, oh, he gets up a lot from his seat. Mm. Well, yes, because his body cannot physically handle being still for that long. Right. That's huge. How about when you're when you were talking about the diagnosis, getting the diagnosis for him, setting up treatment? um, What did your family? How did your family react? Um, Negatively, a hundred percent negative. There's nothing wrong with him. He's smart, Mm -hmm. and. I consistently had to tell them, you're right, there is nothing wrong with him. He just learns different. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so there, there's so much stigma on that, that if they're diagnosed with something, there's something wrong with them. And and that's not the case. There's nothing wrong with the neurodivergent population. Right. We just have to adjust to the rest of the world to become productive in the way that works for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having that flexibility, I think is huge. Right. Because Mm -hmm. like for me, like at work, I have been getting a little frustrated with my manager because she wanted me to do things a certain way. And I had to tell her, like, I don't 
work the way that you work. Like my brain doesn't function the way that yours functions. And I need to be able to do things the way that work for me. And as long as I'm getting my work done, like what, there should be no issues, right? Like I can always meet my deadlines or I can accomplish my things. I mean, geez, I got a, a bachelor's and a master's. Like I know that I can do these things, right? Mm -hmm. But I just have to do it in my own way. Yeah. And having the flexibility, I think is huge. But I know we I've been talking to you about this, Jessica, because I have, you know, my son just started kinder. And, um, you know, having teachers and spaces that have those flexibilities for children that are neurodivergent, um, I think it's really important. And I, I think it sucks that like our school system only functions is only set up to function for neurotypical. Mm -hmm. I, I do agree. And, and there was a little bit of guilt on the parental side when we had to go the medication route um, where we felt like we're medicating him for their convenience mm -hmm. because they don't know how to yeah. accommodate to him. Um, so that was that was tough for us that because there's not enough training or understanding or flexibility, we have to medicate him so that he's limited in, in his true self in such a way. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, and... Um, but then we saw the benefits on the on the family side as well. So when we we know when his medication has worn off, there's a clear clear marker of that. He starts clapping because there's here comes the impulsivity. <laughs> nice. That's what I do Friday afternoons. I'm clapping like, all right. No, yeah, yeah. And so bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Bullshit. So when it's appropriate, we we take breaks from medication. Um, and when it's appropriate that we know that he's going to need to be less impulsive in certain environments, you know, we make sure everybody has their medication, <laughs> including sure. myself. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> everybody right. respect each other's disorders. Okay. Right. That's what we've been saying in our <laughs> circle of line sisters. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And when I got diagnosed, it was actually um, comforting for him because he felt like the outsider. Mm. And so then we, we could compare, you know, who, how does your medication make you feel? Mm -hmm. and, and so he, we got to share those experiences yeah. with, you know, well, this is how it feels for me. And mm -hmm. he was, he was like, oh, okay, yeah, it feels like that for me too. And so we were able to, um, you know, compare and, and he felt like he had someone mm -hmm. to relate to. Right. And, um, and now we, yeah, now we can joke if we're in the store and he's like, Hey mom, our, our ADHD is, is getting us distracted. We came here for one thing, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's important to have that awareness. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I felt like I, with the memory loss thing, circling back to that real quick like I felt like okay the mom mom brain right I had kids and mm -hmm. everyone talks about mom brain but honestly sometimes I find it really difficult to even find the words to express what I'm trying to convey or like yeah you know I'm trying to say take out the trash and I can't even think of the word trash mm -hmm. or it's just and I'm like why can't why aren't these words coming like I know what I want to say Right. But I can't think of the word. Like, it's just crazy. Because your brain is on a little motor. There's like 50 mm -hmm. tabs open. So like, hold on, let me find it. Yeah. But yes. also like the losing things. I mean, I will put really important paperwork somewhere. At that moment, I think that that's a good place to put it. But my brain can completely think of a whole other location the next time around when I'm trying to find what I'm looking for. You know, mm -hmm. it could be my birth certificate. To this day. My passport. I'll, I'll have, like, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, like, where did I put that thing? Like, I mean, it's so bad. And that's why. But every single time I could think of a different place that could be a good place for it. So that's the stupid part. It's like I go to the wrong places to find my stuff because then I have to remember what are the other places I would think of. And then I have to go back around and look because I mm -hmm. cannot, like, there's no, my brain doesn't go back to the same place every time, if that makes sense. Yeah. If I put it in the top drawer, yeah, it doesn't go back to the top drawer. It doesn't thing. exist. <laughs> what? 
What, Jessica? There's a pa- there's a passport. I don't know what happened yeah. to. I put it in a very spa- safe space. I've moved three or four times and still have not found it in any of my stuff. Right. Well, I can't find. Yeah, yeah, I can't find a few things right now that I really need. And I'm like, but they're around, or I'm smart, or how can I be an administrator in one area of my life and then this other area of my life? You know what I mean? Like, it, only because at work there's so many tools that I can use, like Outlook and OneNote, and I take full advantage of those things and I make an agenda and I set it for the year I'm like this is the agenda does everybody like it who wants to add or take away I let them play with it for a bit we set the agenda it's done it's copy pasted into every single one of their outlook invites so when I open it I get the same thing they do because if I don't do that we will have a different check-in every week Mm -hmm. and my staff will be like who is this lady and why did they put her in charge (laughs) so um but I think there's a lot of places, work and school, that the way they set up, Jessica, you were talking about it, like chairs, only chairs, right? Versus a, a teacher who was okay with different kind of seating arrangements. Like it really does make a difference. Yeah. And, and working in, in the field that I work with, we work with children. And so um, sometimes if there's something that um, a teacher is bringing to my attention, I do a check-in with them. Is this a personal preference that bothers you mm-hmm. or is it bothering other children? Mm-hmm. Who does it, who is this bothering? Nice. And is it, is it going to really be a big deal at the end of the right. day? If they're standing up and eating, is that a safety issue? No. If they're walking around and eating, yes, it is a safety issue because they can trip and choke and things like that. That's understandable. Um, but opening up the accommodations world, and even as an adult, for me, I when I did enroll and finally take the actual leap to try to finish this degree that I've been working on forever, um, for the first time, I requested accommodations. And it did feel weird at first because I'm requesting something from the disability department and understanding I actually I do have a disability but that is not a bad thing and uh, at first I was even hard on myself with these accommodations which was extra time for turning in assignments and uh, uh, extended uh, test timers I guess you could say Mm -hmm. test times so my test times were extended Um, and at first it was hard for me because I was getting distracted with work or home and um, fighting with my own self like, oh, well, you could have done it at this time, but you didn't. And then realizing like I needed to be more soft on myself and understanding on myself like this is why these accommodations exist. And even if right now you're distracted by something else that you're thinking is non-productive, your brain is not in academic production mode. And so this is why this exists, because tomorrow might be different, yeah. and you can work on it then. Um, so it it was even hard to, like, go through those steps of, like, okay, I, I needed that. And, uh, you know, my the last university I was at, I was academically dismissed. I, I just could not continue. Um, and... I wasn't even running a business. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't married. I didn't have children. I didn't have all these other things on my plate and I could not manage because I didn't have the proper treatment and tools for myself and the being able to go to school and do all the things that I had on my plate and my production effort matched my IQ for the first time in my life. Yes. And and I was able to get the dean's list, which I haven't had those recognitions in forever. And so it was really validating that that was the route that was the mm-hmm. proper way for myself to have the outcome that I needed or wanted to accomplish that goal. Yeah. Wow. And I'm so like mad that I didn't realize this, you know, sooner too, because I'm like, I could have also asked for this when I was in school, you know, and even... Mm-hmm. during my master's program, but I did realize that, hey, I am pretty smart. Like I was also told like, you're so smart, you're so smart, but I was never like a 4.0 student or anything like that. I would say like B's and C's, right? Yeah. But when I did my master's, um, I was getting A's and B's 
And I was like, oh my God, I'm so proud of myself and mostly A's. Um, so I was like, look at me, look at me go. Like I can do it, you know? And obviously at the time I, I didn't have kids. I wasn't married yet, didn't have a house and like all of these other like stressors and things. But, you know, if you're able to find ways to work that work for you, that you're able to, you know, meet your deadlines and accomplish the things that you want to accomplish, definitely like speak up for that. And even mm -hmm. if, you know, like me, I'm not diagnosed, but I'm going to have the conversation with my manager like, hey, I, I this this is what I need for myself. And I'm working on, you know, getting an assessment and all of these things. But like, I need you to have a, a little bit more, give me a little bit more grace and understand that I'm trying to figure out, you know, what is going on with me and, and mm -hmm. the best ways for me to be productive. Yeah, that's huge. Just knowing what you need and communicating it to others. That's half the battle. But how do we give ourselves permission to name those things? Um, it, especially in maybe our family systems who are not familiar with this. And I think that's harder. Uh, do you feel like any part of, we're talking about ADD and ADHD right now. Do you feel like any parts of these, even behaviorally, do you feel like they challenge our cultural values and norms as Latinx folks? I would say absolutely. Um, because not only am I um, on the ADHD world, uh, my other son, um, I've always thought he was some type of spectrum, mm -hmm. on the spectrum. Um, prior to it being removed from the uh, DSM, Asperger's um, was in the DSM. And so I thought, I think he might be Asperger's, um, which now would be considered um, autism level one. Mm -hmm. Autism's split up into three levels, level one, level two, level three. Um, and so I, I, to this day, we're still working through trying to figure out a diagnosis or not, if that's not the case. And um, my, my family was always like, there's nothing wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with him. He's just different. He's just crazy. It's fine. No big deal. He likes these different things. And Very as a parent, I'm like, yeah. Very dismissive. Like, why Why do you have to label him? Um, why do you have to, why do you want something to be wrong with him? And, and that's not what it is. It's I'm trying to find the appropriate resources, the appropriate um, methods to have him work the best way, be in the environments the best way that are, are, good for him and what mm -hmm. he's comfortable in right. yeah. and making those accommodations um, and realizing, you know, it, he doesn't have to do everything traditionally. And that came down to even graduation party. I changed up his graduation party um, experience and I made it more casual so that there wasn't so many people yeah. in the same environment. And so it wasn't so socially overwhelming. Mm -hmm. That's good um, and so it was a, it was more drop in. So people came and went. And so there wasn't a massive amount of people all at the same time. And that worked out way better. And even with small groups still being there, there was moments where he, he had to step away and kind of reset mm -hmm. um, because there, it was socially overstimulating for him at times. I think. And so it, it it's just, it's something that they, uh, the community just didn't want to accept and, and I'll, I'll stand for it. I'll advocate for him and let them know till the day I die. Like there's nothing wrong with us. Mm -hmm. We just all think different. We function different and that's okay. We are still smart. We're still productive. There's just different ways that we operate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where I saw the biggest barrier of between our community and like information we needed about this was when I was a, a service coordinator for the regional center um, in California. There are about 20 in California. There are about 23 regional centers and they're basically state agencies that provide um, case management and, and some fiscal support to families who have children with um, developmental disorders and autism is one of them. Um, and so I remember a lot of times going into families uh, homes and you know, I, 
80% speak Spanish. So we'll get into that in another episode, but <laughs> would get assigned Spanish speaking families and they just had no idea what they were dealing with, had no clue. Like, why is my child, uh, I worked in the adult unit. So I was working with up to, you can get into the adult unit by 17. And if you are uh, a child with a disability, depending on the severity, you could be in high school till 22. That's the highest you can go. So I would deal with adults uh, who are between 17 and 22. A lot of times that were in high school with the IEPs. Um, but of course, you know, developmentally, they were younger. So our families just didn't understand, like, I have this man, right? This Latino man, he's like 19, 20. Uh, why is he rigid? Why does he struggle with change? Why can't he be the, you know, pick up responsibilities? Why doesn't he go out with friends? Why doesn't he have a girlfriend? There were all these things that they just didn't understand uh, about their child. And it's, they had autism. And so it was really fascinating to see just how I could tell it wasn't just like a, a chosen ignorance it was truly like no one has ever taken the time to give our community resources or education about this then there's all these really confusing terms that our families would say like offer a fape uh, the free and uh, public education like ieps you know uh yeah. just all kinds of things that they were just like what? They don't know what they don't know no and they don't know who they're talking to because there's a psychologist who does the testing and does the um, the they do the testing in the report. Then the school resource counselor, right, comes in, and then you have the administrators come in to make sure that the uh, the IEP was done and the offer of FAPE was signed and all that. So there's multiple people at the table, and at these IEP meetings, most of them were white, most of them were highly educated and in their heads and sounding bookish. And there would be me as the coordinator and the family that's Spanish speaking and the you know, 19 year old daughter who's going to translate for everybody. <laughs> but we would always try to ask the school or, or we could bring translators too. But, you know, it just, yeah, they always still bring their kiddo, right? Even if we yeah. have translators, they still bring their family. But it was just like, I could tell, I'm like, my, my English speaking families are getting way different IEP experiences than my Spanish speaking families. That's for a fact. Um, and then when I was a therapist, I because I came from that world, regional center world, working with uh, people with disabilities, they would often assign me cases where they think that maybe the child did have a disability or was on the spectrum. And I would do therapy for dual diagnosed, so developmental and mental health. Well, I met this mother. I'll never forget this. She brought in her 19 month old baby boy and Latino family, Spanish speaking. And she said all he does is scream. He screams and screams and screams. And I thought that's different for a 19 month um, so I did, we do developmental screenings as therapists. We can, we're trained and certified to do these certain ones that train, screen for everything like your, uh, your, um, neuro skills, but also like fine and gross motor skills and all these things. Right. Well, yeah. all these children, like you, you have like a set of 20 or 30 activities for them. You kind of have to go in the order that they're feeling, <laughs> So if we're going to, you know, throw a ball versus pick the bigger circle versus the smallest, circle, like you just kind of go through it with them, right? At what, and they have different levels of assessment for each age range we're working with. So I pulled out mine that's normal for his age. But I noticed that as we were going through it, he didn't understand what I was saying. And I would switch up to Spanish, didn't really understand what I was saying. And then uh, he wasn't speaking. So like he would just moan or shout. And I told the mom, 19 months they should be able to at least tell you no with some attitude. Mm -hmm. Like a 19 month old can say, no, I don't want that. Right. At least throw an attitude with me. He was just kind of mute. And I said, actually, I don't even think this is mental health. Cause she was thinking, you know, there was a little bit of tension in the home with her and her husband. And, um, I think he ended up getting deported anyway. So she was like, I think that's what's going on for him. And I was like, yeah, but how do you know he has no words? And I would pull out this little bin of animals and he didn't even, he couldn't even make the sound of the animal. Things that like at least at 19 months you can do. Yeah. Well, I connected her with Alta Regional. Uh, that's the, the regional center near us at the time. And she didn't even know what it was that I was referring her to. But they did come out. I was with her. The, I followed this mom all the way through this process because she had no clue. It was I was like it was jarring. Right. And then they would test her son and they told her, yes, he is showing signs of early developmental delay. But he's before three. We can get in there. So they were getting in there. And I sort of became like twice a month check in as a therapist. 
but let her really go in with this regional center services. And they got in there and a year later we were able to celebrate that he was saying yes, no, he was naming all the animals. He was, and then teaching mom like how to use their like emotion words, right? Mad, sad, angry, confused, let down. So we were teaching her words in the meantime, I was like the, my client right now is really not the kiddo. It's the mom to prepare her. And then when she had words, he started talking more. She could teach him words. And then they were bonding better. His behaviors went down because his vocabulary went up. Um, but just the, my, the mom would give me like wild eyes every time I was explaining every step of this. She's like, who am I meeting with? What are we doing? And to this day, I don't think she really ever understood. She just trusted the process and trusted me. <laughs> But it, yeah. but to get her kiddo to that point, like she did have to just trust me and she had to meet with these people and she had to do these services. But I highly recommend to our listeners, if you do feel like your kiddo is under three, um, I know in California, at least they can get free services to help them catch up with their speech, learning, motor skills, fine motor skills, eating, anything that you might think is a neuro, like a developmental delay uh, there are services out there and I want to name that for our community because I don't want our community to be left behind and not know these things I want us to know and like both of you are beautifully sharing like I want you to advocate and how do you advocate if you don't know what you're advocating for but Jessica I wanted to ask you on that topic how do you talk to your parents right you deal with little kids uh, in this before five how does this play out in your profession yeah, I uh, so my school is licensed for zero to twelve. Um, so I do have a um, school age program. We're located across the street from an elementary school, so those guys go back and forth. Um, but the um, the younger population, um, I wrote these things down because it is really important. A lot of families are just very uneducated, and um, they don't know that some of the behaviors are signs or symptoms of some of the uh, neurodivergent um, diagnoses. And so um, I actually have had parents crying, come in crying because they just absolutely don't know what to do. And I've created, it's 67 pages mm -hmm. document, um, including like the regional center basics, what resources you can receive um, before the age of three, what resources you can receive after the age of three, what resources you can look into at whatever age it may be, um, because there's different steps involved in, in that whole process. And um, research does show that early intervention is going to be longer lasting than intervention post five years mm -hmm. old. Yeah. <clears throat> and so it's really, really important to try to get um, those services and whatnot. Um, unfortunately, um, the medical side sometimes makes that yes. difficult. I saw that. Too. And so w I always say, go every single avenue for every single resource. You don't have to wait one at a time. You can seek out assistance from your pediatrician. You can seek out um for where I'm located, and I think that's across the board. At, once they're three, then you go to the school district and you request services. But a lot of people don't know, put that in writing. Mm -hmm. And so I have a template for families if they have concerns so they can write that information to the district to request those services. And once it's in writing, they legally have to respond. Um, we also do assessments at the school annually. These are things that we don't have to do, but we do it because it helps the families. Um, we do what's called the ASQs, the Ages and Stages Questionnaires. Some pediatricians are now starting to become familiar with those, and um, you're probably familiar with them, Sirena. Um, and so it does give some marker points of different areas of their development where um, – It'll tell us, okay, well, we just need to monitor and here's some additional activities that we can do. And because we do them annually, it it lets us see their progress. Mm -hmm. Are they are they yeah. progressing forward or are they staying in this gray zone or are they in, now into referral zone? And so referral zone, we're going to help them, um, you know, name some resources that they can go to. And these are all things we do not have to do. 
Um, I, I hear unfortunate stories of other preschools, child care centers, um, where the families are coming to us because they've been kicked out multiple times because no one's taken the time to say, hey, um, have you tried to get an assessment? Have you spoken to your pediatrician about this? Yeah. And so a lot of educating. Um, the families that only have one child, they don't know because they've never experienced another mm-hmm. child. Um, so that's their normal. Yeah. Um, and they don't realize that um, some of some of the behaviors are atypical, and um, so a lot, a lot, a lot of educating families. And um, like I sp- spoke earlier about my older son, I've been on this journey with him for eighteen years, trying to figure out something, yeah. and um, not in requesting and saying, "Hey, there's he needs some some assistance." Um, I only got as far as the five hundred four plan. Um, but I can sit in an IEP meeting with another child and I'm considered an expert for that child, but my voice for my own child is limited. It's so frustrating. So it's quite, it is, and it's quite ironic that, um, I can speak up for other children, but when it comes to mine, I'm limited as a parent versus as in, as a parent, like, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you running the school, right? Like, correct. And, um, Estrella spoke on um, when she was starting this process that uh, the psychiatrist was okay. Let's stabilize your mood. Um, and as an, as the adult side or the older, even teenage and upside, um, I feel as though the psychiatrist that that's the number one thing. Let's let's figure out. Let's stabilize your mood. And I've had to advocate for my older son. Well, these symptoms of depression are situational. He struggles in math. And I know that when he has a math class, this is when he's at his worst. Mm -hmm. So take math out of the equation. No pun intended. And we don't have these issues, right? (laughs) And, um, you know, I went with him, I went to the psychiatrist thinking we were going to get an assessment for autism. And we walked out with antidepressants and stimulant medication. And I was like, what just happened? Which they're, they're like to each other. Right. Yes. And if we remove, if we had awareness of the diagnosis, then we would have a better understanding so that he wasn't depressed about being a failure in his Mm -hmm. math class. And understanding that math is difficult because that's part of my cognitive mm-hmm. development, that that is not my strongest area. And being accepting and aware of that versus being so frustrated and not understanding, like, why can't I do yeah. this? And he would, he struggled so much and would, he was in high school and he would say, you know, it doesn't make sense that my friend, there's, there's friends that smoke weed and they pass math, like, I don't do those things and why can't I do this? And, and so the, the medical community, sometimes it's harder. So reach out to every single Avenue of every single resource that's available uh, because it's not going to negate one or the other. Right. That's good to know. Yeah. For sharing that. Mm -hmm. And I also want to speak on those who have uh, children that are on the, like more severe side of the autism spectrum where they might be nonverbal. Um, they're not going to read cues. It's a one way possibly conversation. They're not going to reciprocate. Right. And this, this adult child, you could even have a child who in their adult years struck like struggles with um, some, some of these behaviors too. Right. And I think for Latino families, it's definitely harder because of the understanding we may not have around that. I think it goes counter to the things that we talk about, like productivity and working really hard. But when you have a child that's like really severe on on the severe side of the autism spectrum, where it's very clear, even the way that they walk or their gait or their disposition, like that person's not going to be hardworking and going out there. They may not be able to date at that time. And so sometimes uh, it's, it was hard to help the families understand the, the, what, what is going to be productive here is finding them something that will give them a good quality of life. So quality of life is the jam here, not forcing or making this person 
work hard or be productive. That's not going to happen. Um, their autism spectrum disorder, they're too severe. And they and change is going to be extremely hard. Um, they have to have the same like uh, routine. But the other thing too is to understand that they will develop an obsession over a topic. And so I've heard it all. I've heard a grown man that's obsessed with Disney princesses. And that was all he could talk about. But he knew everything about it. They could be it could be basketball it could be movies music but your child may develop these almost like obsessions and that's all they can talk about and and as a parent you have to manage like that's part of the autism spectrum disorder they even may do things like hand flapping um, or rocking and that's just them like trying to soothe themselves so if you force them to stop or see it as a behavior you're gonna that's gonna be a struggle so you have to learn how to dance with autism versus is wrestle with it and a lot of times it is just letting it be um and the good news is there's a lot of programs now that support um kids on the autism spectrum and there's adult daycare pro the adult day programs where they engage them with art and music and things like that so uh, it's going to be about quality of life and i just noticed a lot of latino families they really held strongly onto that like no but they have to be productive how are we going to make them go out there they have to get a job they have to drive i'm like oh honey your kid is not even verbal like yeah let it all go that is not going to be the thing it's going to be their quality of life and finding them something that they can do even if it's repetitive, <laughs> it, actually, that's what they want to do. Um, and and really creating routine for them. If you create routine for them, then you will be successful. So I want to speak on that because I know that was a huge area of misunderstanding for, for our culture um, is when you have severe autism. And I also wanted to go back to La Estrella. You talked about your journey as an adult. What advice do you have for adults who are neurodiverse um, and are, are trying to figure it out. You, you have your MBA, you have kids, you know, you are in marketing, like you've, you've made success for yourself, just like Jessica. But what advice do you have for adults who are living with neurodiversity? I would say if you feel like you align with any symptoms of like any neurodiverse disorders, um, definitely start doing more research, read, read articles, read research, um, look at videos to figure out if like you could have that. And again, you know, going back to advocating yourself once you go to, you know, your, your healthcare provider and really speaking up for yourself because no one else is going to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And finding, you know, for me, like, um, I, I joined a, like a development program uh, through my job that, gave us a coach for six months mm. and she really helped me to get more organized, create lists, like do all these little things and take little breaks that really helped me kind of work better, be more productive and not try to like do everything all at once. Cause I always feel like, Oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. And I have like a million, you know, tabs open and I'm like, I can't, this isn't sustainable. Like I can't work like this anymore. It's, it was really overwhelming. And so I was able to find, you know, doing little things that really helped me get more focused and organized because focus, I also did the strength finder and it was very low on the list. I think like 29 or 30 mm. and discipline was last. So, you know, I really have to try to reel myself in sometimes. And if you hear my kids in the background, they are yelling for me. <laughs> Let me record my podcast. <laughs> right. I'm going to kick us into wrap up. So if you want to mute, I'll start wrapping us up. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that, La Estrella. Um, you have definitely been on this journey and have seen some successes. And I, I just encourage you to keep going. And then, Jessica, um, any last thoughts you have on this topic as we wrap up for our listeners? Um, I think that it's important that um, people understand it does, it does affect your relationships. And whether that's work relationships, um, your parental relationship with either your parents or your children, um, your friendships. So it is something that um, don't be ashamed to share that information with those that you are in relationship with. I have to let people at work know. I have to let my employees at work know, like, 
we're having this conversation and I'm agreeing to something right now and I will forget this conversation. So please, it has to be in writing. So please message yes. me. So we, I have this to go back to, um, or, uh, you had messaged like your er, message you had spoken about, like forgetting your husband, picking you up. Like if you're not aware of these things, you, you, that can cause unwanted animosity in a, in a romantic relationship. Yeah. Um, not realizing that you're forgetful sometimes. I never remember the day that we're engaged, but my husband yeah. does. <laughs> and and if he if we weren't aware of my diagnosis, it looks like I don't yeah. care. Awareness is, everything. and that's not the case. Yeah. Big. And and with my parental um, relationship, like consistency is vital for parenting and consistency as we all know is one of our hardest mm -hmm. things to do so um, just like Estrella was pointing out the different um, strategies mm -hmm. we have to do that in all of our relationships um, and if unfortunately for me if people aren't in the front of my brain I actually do forget about them and I don't realize they exist and not in a bad way because I don't love them but if they're not mm -hmm. active in my life like I, I, I'm paying attention to those that are, and, and you might fall off of my yeah. radar and it's nothing personal. It's just, that's the way my brain functions and operates. So, um, knowing that and letting others know, like, I, I apologize in advance. Like I may forget about you one day. Um, and it's just because like someone else caught my attention and I, I went that route. So it's nothing personal. It's just the way that our, our, our brains operate. Thank you, everyone, for this conversation. I mean, we just really barely scratched the surface. This could be a whole series, um, but we appreciate your expertise today, Jessica, as somebody who works in the field of development and education. Um, and La Estrella, just a, a living legend of how you can be a successful adult. Um, yes, yes. Thank you so much for listening. This is such a fun episode, you guys. I think yeah. A lot of really great information for our community. Definitely. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Adios.